Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Meriwether and Tharp, your source for Georgia divorce. Find them online at theatlantadivorceteam.com. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. You know, I think we all saw this play out a year ago with Georgia on the heels of a national championship. The actual season itself probably didn't truly come to an end until April. That is when so many of the players that had contributed to that national championship got a chance to have their name called by Roger Goodell in the NFL draft. And Georgia put together five first-round picks. Just so happened all of them were on defense. But five first-round picks. And that was, I think, the perfect culmination of what had been an unbelievable, unforgettable year for UGA. And as you've heard me say before, I'll always remember this because we were all, all on board Independence of the Seas for our first-ever Dog Nation cruise. And that final night of the cruise was the NFL draft party when you saw all these Georgia names kind of flooding in you're like man this is just such a great way to conclude what is a year unlike any we've ever experienced before but not like any year we'll ever experience again because here we are a year later and so much of the same stuff from a year ago seems to be playing out here right now and once again the same way that the Georgia program I think got a boost got more fame and attention and you know I I think the program kind of grew in size and scope because of how last year played out by last year I mean 2021 you see the same thing kind of happening here in 2022 there as well where plenty of the Georgia players who are going to move on and have their own NFL future and get very very rich because of that they cite their time at Georgia as part of what got them there and you know how the wheels and gears turn in college football that when prospective recruit five-star this and four-star that when they hear Georgia players saying this you know as a way of saying hey my time at Georgia has kind of made me what I am well it just stands to reason that future college football players say Georgia's a place I want to be for those very same reasons and that cycle seems to be playing out with Georgia here pretty effectively right now I don't think there's anyone who's been better at pushing this message though than former Georgia outside linebacker Nolan Smith who during his time at UGA certainly established himself as a great leader for this program and he's also seemingly in content and intent on leading this team into the next generation too and perhaps this is because no one said before he wants to be the next coach at georgia or if one day head coach at georgia maybe he's just laying the groundwork that one day he'll get a chance to enjoy if he truly is georgia's head coach but one way or another nolan is speaking like someone who is still greatly invested in the future of this georgia program an example of this this week using the pat mcafee show now some of y'all had kind of reached out to me about this and like ba you got to see this this is good stuff and i had a chance to go back and experience some of this and it really is mcafee as you know is this sort of you know kind of cult of personality in the sports media world you've seen him on wwe smackdown you've seen him on espn college game day there's really no place you haven't seen pat mcafee i guess if you're in any way aware of kind of the sports talk world mcafee's sort of hard to miss on that so nolan getting a chance to be interviewed by pat is a pretty big piece of uh, media real estate for a guy like that and nolan used his time on the mcafee show this week to sort of not just sell himself but sell georgia in particular and in doing so I think Nolan kind of reveals to us here a little bit about what the secret to Georgia success really is, because there are a lot of programs that seek to be the best program in college football. And I think you know that for a long time, Georgia was trying to get there and for whatever reason had a hard time doing that. Or you've got programs kind of around Georgia trying to do the same thing. And you just sort of find out that no matter how much greatness you aspire to, actually achieving that greatness is just not a very easy thing to do. And somehow, some way, Georgia's figured out a little bit of a formula to get the most of the talent that it brings in. And Nolan was kind of talking about some of that as it relates to Kirby Smart. Specifically, what is it that Kirby Smart does that coaches his team so well? You know, Pat McAfee here in the clip you're about to hear kind of does this from the standpoint of the fiery pregame speeches that we sometimes see leak out viral you know clips and and whatnot but nolan kind of goes beyond that to talk about why is it that the message of kirby smart is so well received by players so effective and such a motivational force that pushes georgia to be the very best program that it can be i think there's outstanding stuff from the pat mcafee show with nolan smith here this week take a listen to nolan kind of sharing some secrets about what makes kirby kirby here's nolan smith we heard a pregame speech from kirby smart now it was being alluded to as if it was the national championship pregame speech somebody came out and said this is not from the national championship so that was from another game Whoa. I couldn't even imagine what the national championship one was like but what did people not know about Kirby you think publicly that you guys know and why do you think the reign of dominance will be able to continue with Kirby Smart 
just when he talks to you, he's real. He's open from the team meetings, just the skull sessions that we go through and the connection piece is real. You know, you just feel you feel connected to from not only your coach, but your whole coaching staff, all 10, all 10 members on the staff. And we all try to pull in the same direction. And that's for the G. Hey, that uh, for the G is pretty cool. Love that. That'd be a cool thing. <laughs> for the G, for the G is yeah. pretty, that's a pretty sweet thing. Just winning natties, you know. And then Pollock is saying right in Saban's face after the national championship. Kirby's the daddy of college football right yeah. now. And you see Saban's face. So listen, if you're an Alabama fan, you're hearing this right now. Like, how much do you hate this? How much do you hate the idea that Nolan Smith, who chose Georgia over Alabama, at the end of his career, Georgia feels such a, a sense of satisfaction about the choice that he made? And he talks a little bit there about you know what makes Kirby Kirby, the fact that it's not just a fiery speech, it's not just a a level of intensity it's also a level of care and concern that kirby has a genuine bond with his players he's not just faking it and he's not one of these guys that's sort of stiff and posing with recruits and one of these sweater vest things standing you know all, all you know like like a statue that, that no kirby's a real dude and he's able to interact with other young men in kind of a real and genuine and authentic way and nolan smith says hey that works for us and that makes us want to play hard for kirby makes us want to work hard with kirby every day to make georgia what it can be then you got McAfee, who's as you know prominent a voice as exists in sports media right now, saying, and then you know Nick Saban's on that national championship broadcast, and David Pollock's rubbing it in his face. I still don't know that's exactly what Pollock was doing, but the fact that it's being treated that way, I think those of us who are Georgia fans kind of have some fun with all of that. And it's just another example of the Georgia brand growing bigger because of the former Georgia players on their way to the NFL draft. But here's the other thing I always feel the need to kind of mention when we have these kind of conversations. There is a thing in which when you start talking about, oh, these players are connected. We've never had a team that's closer than this. There's a sense in which we all can be a little cynical from time to time. We kind of want to roll our eyes and we kind of want to assume that that little touchy-feely thing there is a little too frou-frou or whatever else, that it's not real, it's not tangible. But in, in, in the case of Georgia, I think we have a lot of evidence that really is the case, that if all Kirby Smart was was this sort of fired up drill sergeant who you know knew how to string a series of expletives together in a way that other coaches didn't and at a volume that other coaches couldn't match like that would only get you so far that at a certain point it's got to be about more than that it has to be more about bond between coach and player we want to do this for our coach at a certain point it has to become about the bond between player and player we want to do this for each other and Kirby's true secret, his true genius may be, because if you win back-to-back national champions with everybody trying as hard as they are, you must have some level of genius that's allowed you to achieve that. Kirby's true genius is he has put the right environment and atmosphere together where these players do bond with each other, and all of a sudden now they're willing to play for each other far more than they would ever want to play for just their coach. This becomes about being with your friends and being with, as they sometimes say, being with your brothers. That becomes real for them. And in this same interview, Nolan Smith talked a little bit more about that, specifically with the viral clip we all saw of the Georgia players that are currently on the team cheering so hard for Nolan when he ran that blazing 40-yard time at the NFL scouting combine going back to earlier this winter, that that may have been the perfect kind of visual representation of the sort of bond that Nolan tells McAfee he thinks that Georgia has, and he went into more detail with Pat on that on the show this week. Take one more listen to this. What was it like to see their reaction be so happy for you when you were actually faster than what the TV even said? What was your first thought when you saw your boys lose their mind for you? Man, my first thought was, man, that's amazing. You know, the guys are in the locker room just sitting there watching us run, me and Beefy, after practice, you know, because those Tuesdays at Georgia are crazy. So, man, just to see those guys excited for me after all those weeks and me getting excited for them, you know, it was great. Tuesdays? What happens on Tuesdays? Bloody Tuesdays at Georgia. You know, the work the work get put in the bucket. The sweat get put in the bucket on Tuesdays. You know, that's the secret around Georgia. That's the key to the secret sauce. Is that running? Is that running? We're racing each other? We're cardio? What is it? Everything? No, this ain't running, no racing. It's physical. This oh. what physical football, this build toughness, character, this oh. moment. Bo- bloody Tuesday down there in Athens. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. They're never going to lose. 
They're never going to lose, Pat McAfee says. And if you're a Georgia fan, you obviously like all that clip. You like the idea of hyping up the Bloody Tuesday thing. You like the idea of a player like Nolan, who was pretty glamorous coming out of high school. He's the nation's number one recruit, and yet he's as much evolved in this sort of physical practice and viewing the physical practice as important as anybody. This is a guy who wants to be more of a workhorse than a show pony. You love that about the Georgia players. But let me take this one step further as a way of kind of wrapping up this discussion here for a moment. Let me tell you why this is so special. The idea that former five stars like Nolan bond so much with their teammates, they want to go out and have Bloody Tuesday every week and work hard, be physical, uh, kind of forego forego short-term glory for long-term success. Let me tell you why this is so special and why, why this is so fun. Because it's really hard to copy this. It's really, really hard to copy this. You know, if I wanted to copy... Think of a smart coach or, or someone who's thought to be a smart coach. If I wanted to copy the, the Lincoln-Riley offense, that scheme, I could. I could watch enough film. I could draw up the same plays. I could copy that offense. And if the only key to Lincoln-Riley's success as a coach was his offensive game plan, well, if I watched enough film, I could match that game plan. Same thing for Ryan Day. He's sort of thought to be one of these offensive geniuses. He certainly thinks of himself that way. If I wanted to copy Ryan Day's offense, if I watched enough film, if I broke down enough of the you know game planning stuff, eventually I could copy that. Nick Saban's defense. A lot of folks have tried to copy Nick Saban's defense, and in some respects, in terms of the scheme that you run and, and the principles that you, you value, you can copy that there as well. But what makes Georgia Georgia is very, very difficult to copy. It's taking a bunch of very talented players, putting an environment together where they're challenged to work hard and having them voluntarily embrace all of that, openly willing to say, yes, we're going to work so hard because we feel connected to each other that we want to be there for each other and we'll enjoy the success that comes as a byproduct of all of that. That's a very simple thing to say, but it is an incredibly difficult environment to replicate somewhere else. And as Pat McAfee says, hey, Georgia may never lose again. And while eventually Georgia will probably lose at some point in time, there is a sense in which when you look into the future, it's hard to see where Georgia's next loss may come from. And when you wonder, well, how is it that that could be that in a sport that's so difficult, Kirby has found a way to make it look easy? Listening to Nolan Smith talk is a little bit of the revealing of that secret, that incredibly talented players who could have gone somewhere else and gotten patted on the back and you know, having rose petals sort of thrown at their feet every step they ever took, they just chose a different plan. They chose a different path. They chose to come to Georgia. They knew Georgia would ask more from them, and they wanted that for themselves because they wanted to be there for the uh, friends they've made along the way. It is an incredible story of how a program could be built. We are in the process of seeing the fruits of all that, even playing out as Georgia tries to go for 3-23, and 23, and who knows what after that. But if you want to know how it happened, Nolan Smith is as good a explainer of all that as anybody. Great stuff from him on the Pat McAfee Show. Georgia you know why it's Georgia, and you know that it's not likely to stop anytime soon. My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Meriwether and Tharp, and we are happy to have you with us no matter how you get to us today. Live on video, we start at 945, first and 15, dognation.com, Dog Nation app. I was running a little late today, I have to admit that. Uh, that was on me, but uh, nonetheless, uh, we're... 9.45 every morning. We do some special content right there on our main platform, Dog Nation, the Dog Nation app. It disappears when it's done. There's no archive of this, so what happens in the 1st and 15 truly stays on the 1st and 15, as uh, some of our folks like to say, so that's always fun. But then at 10 a.m., it's everybody gets involved. Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, all the video platforms you get going with us. Then at noon, we're on the radio on Athens Sports Radio 960 Ref and it's a podcast. Apple, Spotify, everything else. Just really happy to have you with us here today. Big thanks to our friends at Meriwether and Tharp for also making it all possible there too. They're your source for Georgia divorce. And what that means is, is I don't think anybody knows more about the divorce process than our friends at Meriwether and Tharp do because they have and their attorneys have collectively been through situations like this thousands and thousands of times. And let me tell you something. You can't do anything that much without gaining a lot of knowledge. And at Meriwether and Thought, that becomes kind of institutional knowledge because this is an institution set up to help folks like you who may be going through a divorce situation. So for you, this may be the first time. And doing anything for the first time is scary and confusing. We totally understand that. So all the more reason to lean on someone who's just got more experience, more more uh, firsthand knowledge of what this is going to be like. And when you kind of bump up against the law like this or interact with the law like this over and over again, you sort of understand certain int intriguing facets about the law, specifically about how the law can be leveraged for your benefit. That's why you want a great 
uh, attorney advocate with you during a situation like this because they can explain there are benefits you can get from knowing this about the law. You don't know that. I don't know that because we don't have what JD Juris Doctorate next to our name. But the uh, folks there at Meriwether and Tharp, they are well-trained attorneys in this process. And if you find yourself facing an unavoidable set of circumstances here uh, this year, a, a divorce that you just can't do anything about, you are going to be forced to confront it. Then confront it with an ally who will walk with you, fight for you when necessary. Uh, just do what it takes to get you set up for a happier next season of your life. And folks, that is what it's all about. Getting as much happiness as you can out of the time that you have. And that may be the next step for you being able to do that. So find them online at theatlantadivorceteam.com. That is theatlantadivorceteam.com. Meriwether and Tharp is your source for Georgia divorce. All right, that is uh, that. Glad to have you on the program today. It's Terrence Edwards coming up in just a moment. Fun stuff coming up with Terrence. We'll get into some of the chatter that has existed around the Georgia wide receiver room here thus far this spring. I think this is pretty interesting. We'll do some of that coming up in a little bit. Prior to that, let's go around the doghouse. And I want to be really candid with you here for a moment about some chatter that you're already hearing a little bit of, and you are likely to hear more about from some growing prominent voices in the months to come, that everything has to have a narrative and even for georgia who is the two-time reigning national champion the prohibitive favorite to win a third national championship it would be too boring for almost anybody just to sort of let that be what it is that that georgia's in the process of taking over the sport there has to be some sort of knock on georgia there has to be some sort of nag against georgia some sort of thing that that kind of uh uh you know pulls georgia down uh, a little bit and i think we're starting to see some evidence what that might be george is getting some criticism for its 2023 schedule now we obviously have more insight into this we know that georgia was supposed to play at oklahoma this upcoming season we know the sec told georgia not to do that we know that georgia currently has many big time power five non-conference games scheduled for the future in fact if you look far enough to the future you see examples of georgia having three power five non-conference opponents on its future schedules now there's a chance some of that could change because obviously the sec is also getting ready to expand its schedule we believe there as well but certainly no one has pushed harder to schedule better than what kirby smart has more on that in a moment but as a way of kind of setting up why this is even relevant there was a big kind of social media brouhaha yesterday over some of this kind of stuff i want to show you one example of this uh south carolina themed podcast i'm not familiar with it but uh somebody put this on twitter uh the base of the georgia schedule and you kind of know this now it's not all that great uh, you got non-conference games against the likes of ut martin ball state uab uh the you know the sec slate kind of sees south carolina Ole miss coming here georgia goes on the road to auburn goes on the road to tennessee that's likely to be kind of a marquee game but everything else is somewhat, eh, you know, kind of eh. And so what the Spurs Up show said on Twitter is that Georgia's schedule is downright comical, they say. Basically laughing at the idea that Georgia, you know, has, you know, such a on, on paper bad schedule for the upcoming season. That's just kind of one example of something I think you're going to hear a lot more of. And I do truly believe that you know, a lot of the the sort of talking heads on TV and things like that, they're using social media as their guide for what college football fans are talking about. So you better believe that a more prominent voice than Spurs Up Show at some point in time is going to take this same thing and run with it. If you had to guess who it's going to be, I'm sure your list of guests would probably be pretty accurate. One of those voices that has a little bit of a reputation for being anti-Georgia will probably pick this up, try to run with this there as well, because you got to have something to say about Georgia. You can't say, well, Georgia's just a rubber stamp, third straight national championship, because that's kind of boring. We sort of understand all of that. But I do think it's important to kind of get a little deeper in here in, into exactly what all of this scheduled talk is sort of really about. Here's the first thing I think that needs to be understood. Part of the reason why Georgia's schedule is viewed to be weak is because of how dominant Georgia has been. And if you've ever seen the movie, you know the movie There Will Be Blood? It's a weird movie. I kind of like it, but it's a weird movie. Daniel Day-Lewis is in it. It's a movie about this like oil man, basically. And there's a famous scene in the end of the movie where he's trying to convince this one person to sell him his land so he can get the oil off the land. And the guy doesn't want to do it. But what Daniel Day-Lewis says is, hey, I basically own all the land around you. And essentially by having all that land and drilling on that land eventually i'm going to drill your oil too because it's going to seep down and i'll be able to just pull it out and the kind of catchphrase line he uses is i drink your milkshake in other words like you've got this oil in here but if i've got the land around you eventually i'm going to suck up your oil too and that's his way of saying that i drink your milkshake and that kind of reminds me of georgia football in a certain respect that georgia has been so dominant 
and built up so much success here, it's almost kind of drinking the milkshake of all the other teams around it. You know, Auburn has suffered because of it. South Carolina, the team that I guess the Spurs Up show would tout for, they have suffered because of it. My gosh, Florida's disappeared off the map, essentially, because Georgia has just drank their milkshakes. So they've just gone around and sucked life out of these programs. And part of the reason the Georgia schedule seems so weak is because Georgia's essentially obliterated its yearly competition, especially its biggest rivals. And something else you kind of see kind of playing out with a situation like this is I think that Part of the reason that some rival fans kind of speak up so loudly in complaint about what looks like a Georgia schedule right now is, is and I know this is going to come across as a little bit paranoid, which, you know, it's not paranoid if they really are out to get you. Uh, but I, I do truly believe this to be true, that there is a little bit of an anxiety that's created in the college football world, especially the SEC football world. There's a little bit of an anxiety created by Georgia success that doesn't necessarily exist when other teams have success. Auburn won the national championship, for instance, in 2010. Nobody cared about that. Uh, that was one of those things that was, you know, hey, you know, they finally broke through. They finally won a national championship. But it didn't probably represent a sea change to a lot of folks in, you know, the SEC country world. In 2019, LSU won the national championship. I mean, LSU has a habit of winning championships. The last three coaches who've been at LSU have all three won national championships. So we would certainly say that LSU is a national championship level program but when they you know do what they did in 2019 even as successful as they were historic season in a lot of ways i don't think anybody thought oh my gosh lsu is going to completely take over college football or completely take over the sec part of that is you know compare the state of louisiana to the state of georgia much smaller population in louisiana far less if you want to measure it by like say fortune 500 business and things like that far less business resources in place by comparison georgia is a huge state especially in the kind of the southeastern part of of, of the country it's a big population there's big business around here and georgia who probably if we're to be honest had a lot of years in which it probably wasn't marshalling all its resources as well as it possibly could that it was probably i mean i hate to say it this way for a good number of years georgia was kind of underachieving and that underachieving nature of the georgia program allowed a lot of other sec teams to have more success missouri for goodness sakes won the division in 2013 and 2014 all because Georgia just didn't have his shoes in the right foot. That, that if Georgia had been Georgia, there is no Missouri back-to-back in 2013-2014. A coach like Jim McElwain's not winning the SEC East in 2015 and 2016. But all of a sudden now, Georgia's not only achieving at an acceptable level, Georgia's almost achieving at the maximum level. They've won back-to-back national championships. And so part of the discussion about, oh my gosh, the Georgia schedule's so weak, part of that discussion I think centers around the natural anxiety of, my gosh, is Georgia about to just run away with all of this? Are they about to take the resources they have in their state, the size of the fan base, the media infrastructure that's built around this program, the business dollars that kind of flow through the state in a way that does not flow through other SEC states, at least not all of them? Are they about to kind of put all this in the same direction and just run away and hide with this sport? I would, I would say there's a little bit of anxiety that exists around some of the college football world around that question. And so a way of kind of pushing back against some of that is to talk about the schedule. Now, Kirby Smart's also talked plenty about the schedule over the years there as well. In fact, going back to well, last year, prior to the Oregon game, an example of a Power 5 non-conference game that Georgia's played plenty in recent years, including winning that one 49-3, by the way, um, Kirby Smart talked about how valuable tough games are. So no one's probably more disappointed about the upcoming schedule for Georgia than Smart himself because he wanted to go to Oklahoma. We've been told that many, many times that he wanted that road game, even if they didn't get their home game in return. But that's not going to happen. But that also doesn't change the fact that Kirby Smart seemingly wants Georgia to play the toughest schedules it can possibly place. This is what Kirby Smart said about that last summer. As far as scheduling philosophy, it's never changed for us. You know, it's uh, it's it's you, you look at it as if you make decisions right now or right now. Decisions made for this year and next year were made a long time ago. And it's always been my philosophy to go play uh, quality opponent, a power five opponent, a big matchup. I don't care if it's home and home. I don't care if it's neutral side. I mean, go play a good team because I really believe that helps your team get better. And when you play in the SEC, you're going to run the gauntlet anyway. What's one more team playing a really tough physical team? We don't run from that at Georgia. I embrace that. Our fans want that. I want that. I think that generates a lot more excitement. I think you recruit off of that when you go and you get to sell opening the game and playing in in big-time venues. Um, So I think that's important. But uh, as far as the philosophy with us playing uh, more SEC games, if that happens, then then so be it. It's not going to change our philosophy of what we do non-conference. We had already moved to that before – the, the, the realignment and all the things going on. We were, we were already trying to schedule three big games a year, and uh, that's that's just the way we think it's best. 
Here's one more thing to keep in mind, and after that I'm going to bring on Terrence Edwards. Part of the issue with Georgia seemingly playing a weak schedule is Georgia just won the national championship game 65-7. to There's a sense in which Georgia plays an easy schedule because Kirby Smart makes college football look easy. Georgia's 4-0 in the playoffs of the course of the last two years. Only one of those games is really close in terms of the final margin of victory, obviously the Ohio State Peach Bowl. Blowout win against Michigan, humiliating blowout win against TCU, and the ultimate final margin of victory against Alabama was two scores as well. That part of the issue for Georgia not playing close games is Look around the country. Who can keep it close with Georgia right now? More often than not, the answer is no one, and that's why, by appearances, Georgia plays an easy schedule in 2023. That is also around the doghouse here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp here today. Now, before we're done, an SEC coach has kind of called out Kirby Smart in his attempt to mock another SEC coach. We'll tell you what that's all about. Also, some big talk coming out of Auburn. We'll give you some of that here, too. But for now, on everything as it relates to Georgia football, including the outlook for a couple of Georgia players seemingly getting some buzz during spring practice, let's do all of that with Terrence Edwards right now on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. A little late getting to Terrence Edwards. I apologize for that, but we'll make good use of his time nonetheless. Terrence, how concerned do you think, by the way, great to have you on the show today, by the way, but how concerned do you think Georgia fans should be about what is by appearance is kind of a soft schedule? Because what some people are going to say is, oh, well, that means your margin for error is zero. If you're not playing the big non-conference game, if you're you know, not playing you know, some of the better SEC teams during the regular season, you better hope you don't trip up because if you do, they're going to hold that schedule against you. How concerned do you think a Georgia fan ought to be about that right now? Uh, I think it's a little concerning. But if we are who we say we are, those non-comfort games and the games that are considered cupcakes, we should go out and win those games pretty handily. So uh, I think this conversation should be a moot point because we just just much better than those teams. So uh, I don't foresee Georgia tripping up against the, the non-conference opponent. Uh, I think it, in my mind it's, it's a really good thing if you think about it. We're breaking in a new quarterback. So these games are really important for the new quarterback because once we get into the meat of the SEC later in the season, uh, he will have a lot of game reps up under his belt against not say so quality opponents. But once we get to the Tennessees and the Florida's, the Auburn, uh, he, whoever that quarterback is will have uh, enough game reps to understand that environment. Well, I think you're right about that. There's no doubt that this upcoming schedule can be a weapon for Georgia as it maybe makes some personnel decisions into the season. But I'm also remembering things you've told us in the past, which is in your senior year uh, in 2002, you guys opened the season against Clemson, non-conference, power five type game, the same way we're talking about Georgia kind of not having this year. And one of the things you've told us in the past is, hey, that was a source of motivation that we knew all summer long that we had a pretty big game to kick off the season at the time, what would be considered you know, a pretty big rivalry for Georgia. I don't know that young people necessarily know that now, but at one point in time, that was also considered a pretty big rivalry. Also, so my point is, if Georgia doesn't have that this year, do you think they're missing the kind of motivational force to get ready for the upcoming season they would have had in 2021 because they were also playing Clemson, or they would have had in 2022 when they were you know, going to play Oregon? Not having that game in September, does that take some of the motivational edge away from Georgia as it prepares for the upcoming season? I don't think so. I think the motivation now is these guys are back-to-back national champs, and uh, you know, no one has ever repeated. So the motivation is to do something that no college football team has ever done in the history of college football is to win three in a row. And I think I'm correct on that, but this is something yeah. that rarely has been done. It's been done. So the motivation there, can can you be that team uh, to go in three peaks? So the motivation is, is, is the standard. The standard is Georgia football. So uh, the standard is a little different than I think in any time in Georgia history right now. Because we are back-to-back champs, and the standard is Georgia football. So I think the motivation is for these guys here, don't be the group that lets the standard not be the standard. So uh, their motivation is going out each and every day. And I was at the, the camp this weekend, uh, last week, so I got to, to see them in, in practice. And, and one thing I can say, uh, Kirby is nonstop. So I, I don't think he is going to allow – this Georgia football to sit on the lures and not have some type of chip on their shoulder because he's going to coach the heck out of them 
And they're going to understand that he's going to hold you to the same standard that he's been holding every other player throughout his coaching career. So since you mentioned that, you know I'm going to take the bait on this. Uh, what was it like being there? Anything else you can reveal to us that you saw while you were there last week uh, getting a glimpse of Georgia practice? Uh, for, I don't know me. I'm a receiver, so I, I follow the receivers. But uh, Dominique Lovett is, is going to be someone that's uh, going to make a lot of plays for us. We, we, are, we are very deep at the receiver spot. Uh, we are fast. Uh, just talking to some of the guys, to some of the young guys, is, uh, is the, you know, if we, we got a four by one team with Arian Smith, uh, Anthony Evans, ZZA, and CJ Smith, that four by one team probably can't go compete against any track team in the country. They're that fast. And they, they have something about them that's gonna bring a different dimension. And, uh, Yaziz Haynes is, put me in the mind of not saying he's going to have the same production, but his skill set is like Devontae Smith. He, he's made up like Devontae Smith, and he has that that swagger that Devontae Smith uh, carried as a receiver. So I'm looking for big things from them. And one of the things that I did notice uh, on the defensive side, and I kind of agree, I don't know if this is going to be uh, – what we do in the fall, but we had Javon Bullitt at safety and okay. Tariq Smith at, at star. And I just think that's just getting your best 11 on the field. Yeah. I don't know if that's experimental, uh, but I actually like it. I think uh, Bullitt now can, if he does play safety, uh, that's his position. Right? We need that leader, that playmaker in the back end because we're losing Chris Smith. And I'm going to tell you this. You can go back and look at this. Uh, when Jeff Santel had me on his show, evaluating that the 2019-18 class with Jermaine Burton yeah. and that whole class. Yep. And I said that Jalen Carter would be the best player in this class. Yep. And I was right about that. No, that's exactly Jordan right. Hall. Ooh. Jordan Hall is going to be something special. Wow. He, he's he's going to be something special. Boy, I like to hear that, Terrence. That's a really good insight. And a couple of things on this, first of all. Um, I, I guess to stay on Jordan Hall here for a moment – what is it that in particular impressed you about uh, Hall? Is it the athleticism for the big man? Uh, what is it that impressed you about Jordan Hall? The, the whole thing, the athleticism, he is a big man. He, he is a big man. So I, I don't think that our D-line uh, would lose, I think, one of the, the best players in Georgia history and, and, and uh, Jalen Collar. We, we, I don't think we're going to take a drop. I mean, you still got Bear Alexander there. You got uh, – Jared Kidd, like we are for the next few years, I personally think as a whole group with the two outside rushes that we have, with the two inside guys that we brought in, if they continue to stay and develop, that could be the best D-line overall that we have had, and we have had some good ones. But those young guys that we brought in, the two edge rushes, plus the linebackers, like the, the group is very impressive. Boy, that's great to hear. And I, I want to do the wide receiver stuff later on in the conversation, too. But uh, let me go back to something else you said there a moment there as well, about the idea that Javon Bullard being seen at safety, noticing Tyke Smith, I believe you said there at the star position. Terrence, what that tells me, and I want to see if you agree with this, is is that must be the emergence of Tyke Smith because we know that Javon Bullard's an excellent star, an excellent you know sort of fifth defensive back. We think he could be a great safety, too. But if you're moving him, that means you must really believe in what Tyke Smith can do for you. Because, you know, let's face it, you know, Tyke had a great season at West Virginia before coming to Georgia. But the Big 12 is very different than the SEC in the sense that you might get because either injury or just trying to fit in at the SEC level. I think there may have been some adjustment for Tyke getting to the Georgia program. But if Georgia's trusting him enough right now, they can move a guy like Bullard off a position where he essentially was playing as well as anybody in the country at that start position at the uh, college football playoff a, a year ago. That would be telling me that, man, Tyke Smith might be really finally getting comfortable here at UGA if they feel okay about moving Bullard around like that. Is that your sense on that, too? So my sense is, I mean, we all looked at his film at West Virginia. I just thought, you know, we, we're getting a very talented player. And I thought he would fit perfectly at the star position. He's very physical. Uh, he has the ball skills to cover. Uh, I just think he, he just does just have a bad luck with the torn ACL. And I just think uh, he's finally running into shape and getting back to the player that we saw at West Virginia. If you look at him last year, I think he still was playing with his brace at some point last year. So 
this is really the second year off of that injury. And I just think, you know, we're getting a player uh, back from injury, and we haven't really seen the true abilities of the young man because he hasn't had the opportunity because of a torn ACL. So um, he was moving around very well, and I just think it's a this is a, a opportunity to see what we got. Is he the guy that we think he is? Uh, we we know what Javon is, was able to do at the position. Also, can we cross cross train him at the safety position, yeah. and we will we use him effectively at that position or? It's his best position star. So I think it's more just, just cross-training, just trying to find the best 11 players to put on the field. And I think both of those guys are, are phenomenal football players. And now I just think we're just trying to figure out what's the best 11 to put out on the field. No, that's really, really interesting. I want to come back to the wide receiver part of this in a minute. Before that, we heard Nolan Smith before you joined us here today. Uh, Terrence, how much do you enjoy hearing from a guy like that who's so mature and you know such a, a really great salesman for the University of Georgia? And once again, just like it was a year ago, it seems like this NFL draft is really a big PR campaign for UGA, and the program seems to be growing in stature because of the draft attention that it gets, including Nolan Smith being on the Pat McAfee show. Yes, I think, man. I, I saw Nolan uh, – when I was down, and he's just a great young man. I mean, he, he sat there and talked to me. We actually had the same high school coach, uh, Rick Tomlin, coached Nolan for two years before he transferred to IMG. So I've known Nolan and about Nolan for a long time because of, of Rick Tomlin. So we, we talked for a little while there. He's just a, he's such a great young man. And I truly believe him when he said once his playing career is over, he's going to try to be the next head coach at Georgia. And I truly believe that. I think he loves Georgia that much that he's going to do everything in his power uh, to continue this, this success of this program. And if it, that's for him to come back and after a 15-year career to, to be interested in being the head coach at Georgia, uh, I believe the young man. That's the, that's the type of kid that he is. And I, I'm just happy that um, he's getting everything that he deserves and earned. Uh, I can't wait to see where he's drafted. Yeah, I, I can't either. And I, you know, he's one of those guys that certainly seems like he has a very good chance of being taken in the first round. Obviously, his combine performance kind of would aid in that discussion. You know, it seems like Broderick Jones is kind of having a very favorable discussion right now, too. I know there's some debate about Jalen Carter, but the truth is he's going to go pretty high in the first round no matter what. I think you're rooting for Keely Ringo to kind of also impress these draft scouts enough that he gets into that first round. That that seems like your number, right? That, that you know, if everything falls into place – you could get four first-rounders this year. You may only get three, but you could get four first-rounders this year. And I think for a lot of Georgia fans, on the heels of having five a year ago, to come back and have another four this year, I would say that's a pretty impressive performance. And it seems like for the next few weeks, we're going to be watching closely to see how you know Nolan's evaluated, Achilles evaluated as, as a way of getting Georgia back up to a pretty impressive number again. Oh, oh, oh so I used the analogy last week that was on that my spades analogy that we had two in the possible. That's so right. my hand just my hand just changed. So now I believe it's three in the possible. I believe uh Jaden Carla, I believe Roger Jones, I believe Nolan Smith Nolan Smith are possible locks for the first round. And okay. I think uh Keely can slip in, Darnell Washington can slip in. So we might got three and, and two possibles using the my spades reference That's last right. week. But uh, I, I mean, I think those guys are, are deserving to be in the first round, but it's an honor and a privilege. Uh, even if we got three first rounders and two second rounders, those are five recruiting tools that Kirby would definitely use. And I think these young players see the talent that we have put out in the, in the draft the last few years. So, uh, I mean, you just can see the guys that Kirby is recruiting right now. They, these are the top tier guys and, I mean, just watching some of the young guys and how big they are, these, these freshmen that I'm talking about, like, uh, man, they, they're just some huge guys. Let me tell you another guy, and his name keeps Lawson Lucky. I'm telling you, everyone, <laughs> Lawson Lucky is, is going to be a guy that help us out at some point. Oh, I think good. he can really, when we are down with Pierce, broken his collarbone, uh, Lawson is going to be a guy with him in the office. He's going to be fighting for that 2-3. Uh, spot right now Lawson Lawson is a uh, Lawson's gonna be really really good boy that's good stuff Terrence I love it let me do one more thing before we let you go you talked wide receivers a moment ago it seems like right now Dominic Lovett is earning a lot of buzz here during spring practice this is a guy that obviously put up big numbers from Missouri a year ago and that program had some quarterback challenges but that didn't seem to slow down Lovett a lot of that came from the slot position from him 
tell us a little bit more as someone who studies this position who's watching it closely got a chance to be at georgia practice last week specifically what did you see from dominic lovett well not the biggest guy uh so i knew that going in not the biggest guy but put together very well Man, but he's very quick and shifty. I mean, just watching him through uh, one-on-ones and the way he runs his route, the way he sit, sits down and get in and out of break, and then just being able to catch the football and just make big plays. I mean, just a, just envision if he gets the opportunity that he got at Missouri, at Georgia, with the talent that we have. He's going to be a guy that definitely help, helps us uh, get to where we want to be. He's going to be a guy that also, he's probably going to be in the, the slots. So, just from personnel, wise, we may be a little bit more 11 personnel. That's three receivers, one tight end. But he's a guy that can control the other side of the field besides outside of Brock when Brock is in the slot. We all know they move Brock around uh, to every position on the field. But when we have a true X and a Z and a tight end and a, and a Y or F, whatever system he is, Dominique can really control the other side of the middle of the field. I mean, he's that crafty. He's that shifty. And I can't wait to watch him between the heads. And I think people are – if you saw him play at Missouri and you liked him, just wait till you see him uh, between the heads. He, he's a very uh, dynamic uh, young wide receiver. Boy, Terrence, that's great stuff. I appreciate your time. Thanks for sharing some of the insight that you got from uh, Georgia practice here. Uh, that is enjoyable. And I know you're doing hard work right now and getting that next generation of college players ready for their careers and obviously ready to dominate on Friday nights this fall there as well. So for people who want to get in touch with the Terrence Edwards Wide Receiver Academy and get some of the training you provide, how can they connect with you on social media? Well, you can find me on all social media platforms at Terrence Edwards Wide Receiver Academy. And then, Terrence, I believe we're going to see you tonight for a special event with Dog Nation, so we'll look forward to doing that. And uh, obviously talking to you back here on the program again very soon there as well. Thank you, and you will see me tonight. Looking forward to it. Thanks a lot. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. So how about that from Terrence Edwards? At Georgia practice, gave some insight on what he saw. A little bit of love for uh, Jordan Hall. You love that. A lot of love for Dominic Love and a little bit of insight on how that Georgia secondary is kind of playing out too. As he says, hey, maybe this was just for the time I was out there, but when I was out there, Javon Bullard at safety, Tyke Smith working the star position. Interesting insight from Terrence Edwards. Uh, very good stuff. By the way, speaking of good stuff, y'all, we're getting so close. And In fact, I you know went ahead and did – one of the things I always like to do when I take a cruise is – and really I would advise anyone to do this – is I like to be in port the night before the cruise takes off. You know, when you're flying in the day of, things like that, yeah, it gets a little bit uh, hairy, or uh, certainly if you're driving in that day of, you could have something go wrong. So I always like kind of be parked in the port the day before the cruise. Sometimes we'll stay in Orlando. Sometimes we'll, you know, stay actually in Port Canaveral. But one way or another, we're kind of in the general vicinity and kind of ready for it. Just kind of a nice sort of pregame for the you know, cruise experience. And so last night I was booking my hotel for our big Dog Nation cruise in April. And you talk about getting real, real, real fast. That was it right there. When you get that hotel room booked and it's less than a few weeks from now, you're going to be you know sitting there in Port Canaveral, uh, getting ready to see that big ship the next day. Boy, that's good stuff. I'm excited about it and excited for all of you going to be joining us. And I really want to encourage you that if you – for whatever reason, we're not able to be a part of our Dog Nation cruise. Take the excitement we have about this upcoming Dog Nation cruise with Royal Caribbean on board Independence of the Seas and use that as your own source of motivation. Get your own Royal Caribbean cruise vacation booked here heading towards the summer or late 2023 or get excited. Uh, you know, January 2024, the debut of Icon of the Seas. I will tell you, Icon of the Seas, the brand new Royal Caribbean cruise ship, they've debuted or I should say they've introduced some of the, like the bar and lounge concepts, the, the live music, things like that that are going to be on board the ship and i think it's some really cool ideas it's basically taking some of what royal cribbins done in the past and in some respects i think kind of enhancing that and once again that starts to feel like it's just right around the corner this brand new cruise ship experience on board icon of the sea so somebody who knows even more about this than i do is our, our good friend jessica slater you can give her a call 770-718-9147 that's 770-718-9147 she'll get you ready to go on your own royal caribbean cruise vacation and for those of you going to be on the dog nation cruise man i cannot wait to see you we are just a little bit away on that all right let's talk about this here for a moment so lane kiffin uh old miss coach certainly no stranger to social media dust-ups and you know frankly one of those guys that when he can throw the pot he sort of likes to do that 
he noticed something that we talked about the other day which was Jimbo Fisher getting a little testy during a press conference during Texas A&M spring practice because the question came up about who was going to run and call the plays, the Texas A&M offense. And, you know, Fisher essentially begged off the question, did not want to acknowledge that Bobby Petrino was being brought in as offensive coordinator to run the plays. And one of the things that Fisher said in this somewhat testy exchange with reporters was that essentially every team runs the same offense, that 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 it almost came across as some sort of ego deflection of hey don't blame me for our losses it's not my offense that's deficient our offense isn't any different than anybody else's that's kind of what he said he eventually also kind of backtracked on some of the stuff about Petrino acknowledging that Petrino is here to be the offensive coordinator and that's what he's here to do but it seems like Jimbo's ego at the time couldn't allow him to acknowledge that well this got some attention we talked about this on our show Lane Kiffin noticed it as well and so on Twitter he puts uh everybody runs the same plays basically asking that question about Jimbo Fisher what Fisher reportedly had said and then he goes on to say it's it's only about the players executing then he tags Kirby Smart in this I don't really know why he tagged Kirby Smart I mean Lane Kevin in his press conference uh, at Ole Miss this week basically acknowledged that he's still unhappy that Jimbo Fisher kind of went after uh you know Lane a little bit I guess and went after uh Nick Saban you know Lane Kiffin just loves Nick Saban those two are just I mean they're just two peas in a pod they just love each other uh and so when uh anybody comes to criticize Nick Saban Lane Kiffin's gonna get his feelings hurt and so he's gonna go back and try to fire back at Jimbo Fisher now how Kirby Smart gets dragged into this by Lane Kiffin I'm actually not even really quite so sure like what the uh uh what the link is on that necessarily uh but lane kind of doing what he does and kind of stirring all this up and you know frankly this is one of the things that makes the sec fun you do have these big personalities and you've got pressure on jimbo fisher this year we talked about yesterday about pressure on lane kiffin lane kiffin's got to re ingratiate himself if that's a word is that a word he's, he's got you know kind of return to the good graces of old miss fans because of the way in which he behaved in the end of last season i don't know if picking fights with jimbo fisher gets him there or not but he's got pressure on him but you've got these very famous guys have these big personalities they sometimes clash with each other and that's part of the fun of all of this uh, thankfully you know kirby smart gets tagged there you know smart seems content for his team to do its talking with his helmets even though i wouldn't mind kirby smart occasionally taking some pot shots at some of these uh programs and, and some of these coaches smart for the most part stays above the fray on all of this but the fact that other coaches are more than willing to kind of get down there and wrestle in the mud I guess that's entertaining for a lot of us. By the way, speaking of coaches, no stranger to being in the mud. Hugh Freeze at Auburn. Interesting quotes from Gus Malzahn, the former Auburn coach, who happens to be a friend of Freeze. They have a similar story. They both kind of came up from the high school ranks. A lot of those former high school coaches like to stick together. Uh, uh, Malzahn was interviewed by Sports Illustrated about Hugh Freeze. And uh, Malzahn kind of touting Freeze to have some success uh, there at Auburn. Malzahn saying, I think that Auburn and Hugh Freeze is a really good match. Uh, Malzahn telling Sports Illustrated that Auburn's an unbelievable place. Hugh is really, really good. I'm excited for both parties. You can win the whole thing there. Unbelievable fan base and support. He's coming at a great time with NIL and the new facility. Everything came together. Now, part of me wonders you know, does this actually help Hugh Freeze? The idea that Gus Malzahn, by saying, hey, you can win the whole thing there. That's essentially establishing national championship expectations for Freeze. Now, I think Auburn and Free, I should say, I think Malzahn and Freeze truly are friends. So this is probably, if anything, more of a, a little bit of a reminder to Auburn that, hey, I played for a national championship. I won a, I won a national championship as an offensive coordinator there in 2010, played for a championship as a, as a head coach in my first year in 2013, and y'all haven't been nearly as good since. So if, if, if Gus Malzahn wanted to kind of get that reminder out there of, uh, you know, I was the guy that brought you more success than you've had since I've been gone. I think he'd be sort of fair to do that. I do think the overall general point that he's making is probably accurate. That I actually do think that Hugh Freeze is a pretty good coach, and I know that he's got a little bit of a colorful, checkered past away from football, but he's not the only one in the SEC for whom that could probably be true. Um, and when it comes to you know being a factor in the SEC, a guy that's beaten Nick Saban twice head to head, I think he matters there on that. You know, as an old Miss coach. You know, he got to big time New Year's Six Bowls, you know, Sugar Bowls in back to back years. This is a guy who brought Ole Miss certainly more success than Lane Kiffin's been able to bring it for the most part. However, that happened, recruiting rules, whatever else, uh, it happened nonetheless. And I do think that Hugh Freeze is a coach is going to be heard from. And I think that Auburn could actually benefit, you know, once you move to the kind of 
new SEC scheduling world that's going to exist in the future. Now, Auburn's going to have a tough situation in the fact that they're going to almost certainly have to play Alabama every year and play Georgia every year, but they're already doing that anyway. It seems like the SEC may also toss them a bone of giving them a third permanent opponent that's likely to be Vanderbilt, the worst team in the SEC, as a way of mitigating the fact that you're going to play Bama and Georgia every single year. But even with Bama and Georgia remaining on the schedule, the truth is Auburn's schedule is likely to, benefit, likely to benefit in the future because currently they're playing Bama and Georgia plus the entirety of the SEC West every year. Whereas in the future, it seems like they may get Vanderbilt every year. They'll get schools like Kentucky and Missouri every other year. And it almost stands to reason the Auburn schedule will become a little bit easier in the future because they're not playing SEC West plus Georgia every year. So if I'm Billy Napier at Florida, if I'm Josh Heupel at Tennessee, if I'm Shane Beamer at South Carolina, even if I'm Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss, he's still relatively young into his tenure there at Ole Miss, the arrival of Hugh Freeze is a little bit of a challenge for me because these are coaches relatively new on the job trying to build their program, take the next step. But a guy like Hugh Freeze, who's had success in the SEC before, is back at a place like Auburn where if things fall into place, that's a program that can't have success. I think that Freeze could be a problem for some SEC coaches here in the future, and I think we may see some evidence of that here this year. Uh, Finally, I'll give you this, speaking of Auburn. So I saw where Auburn baseball, I guess, is going to uh, build a statue of former Auburn great and uh, you know baseball Hall of Famer, the Chicago White Sox, Frank Thomas. And listen, I assume that Frank Thomas is deserving of a statue. You know, Thomas also played some football there too. Um, I'm assuming that from an Auburn standpoint, Frank Thomas is worth a statue. Uh, and listen, I was a big fan of Frank Thomas at, at the Major League Baseball level for sure. But my point in bringing all this up is another example of one of these SEC schools doing everything it can to kind of pay homage to its all-time greats, and yet we once again sort of see Georgia not doing that. And frankly, I think after a while, you know, Georgia's lack of statues gets a little bit weird. The lack of recognition for all-time greats, whether it be for certainly the football program or maybe somebody else from some other program, maybe there too, you know, I just think that's a little bit odd, a little bit strange. And so... You know, I'm hopeful that one day, especially with some of the construction stuff that is taking place, likely to take place in the future, that kind of creates an opportunity for some sort of monument park, some sort of opportunity to kind of honor the greats in your program's history. I don't think that Georgia's done enough on that. Georgia gets a lot right. Let's let's be honest about this. But if it's not going to do more statues, not going to do more ways of honoring all-time greats like Auburn's doing, their Heisman Trophy winners already have statues, don't they, Pat Sullivan, Cam Newton? Uh, Bo Jackson they all have statues right at Auburn Um, I think that's right but if you're not going to do statues then being a little bit more forthright about what you're not doing it would probably also make some sense there as well and with all of that said we're going to make that cruise around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean so obviously it's a recruiting day tomorrow Jeff's intel we'll talk then about the decision that Deuce Robinson makes today what that means for Georgia moving forward we don't expect Deuce to choose UGA Jake Merklinger quarterback a guy that had Georgia offer he is also going to make his decision today, too. We don't expect it to be George either, but that puts a bigger spotlight on five-star quarterback Dylan Ryola, and I'm assuming we'll probably talk to Jeff about that tomorrow there as well. So we mentioned that yesterday. We'll kind of follow up on that tomorrow when Jeff joins the show, and we'll have a good time with that. Speaking of having fun, also away from college football, something very fun to tell you about today there, too, it is Major League Baseball opening day. With that in mind, we'll give our golden shoe today to the Atlanta Braves. As they put out on Twitter, it's opening day. You see Max Freed there, fired up and ready to go. And obviously, we're fired up and ready to go for the Braves there as well. Good luck in Washington. Beat up on the Nats. Golden shoes all the way around for the home team there. Lousy stinking Gators. Gatorator countdown. How about 212 days from right now? Georgia beats Florida again. We'll see you tomorrow. Dog Nation Daily, presented by Merriweather and Tharp.